The following is a presentation of the Boston Podcast Network. Podcasting is a great way for professionals to tell their story. Find out how you can get started at pod617.com. This is our fucking city. From the Pod 617 Studios in Westwood, Massachusetts, it's the Boston Podcast with David Yaz and a rotating cast of characters from Pod 617, the Boston Podcast Network. What's up, everybody? And thank you, John Meter Perel, for that lovely voiceover. Such uh, dulcet tones. Is that the word? I don't know. He sounds good. He has a nice voice. Uh, it's Dave, and welcome to the Boston Podcast, brought to you by the Boston Podcast Network at pod617.com. Pod, 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 pod. I'm just going to keep saying it until I keel over. Uh, I have an awesome guest with me today, my buddy, Aaron Higgins, who's a lawyer, and we have like we have like a plethora of topics. We have like a stew. We have like a jambalaya of topics to talk about today, so we're going to get to that. Before we do, if you just indulge me for what we call in the podcast industry, a live read, and it goes kind of like this. Let me take a break to tell you about the Boston Podcast Network, what we do here. How would you like your own podcast? We can produce one for you. Whether you're a lawyer, financial advisor, business owner, really any other kind of professional, you should have your voice heard through this exciting new medium. A good podcast is more powerful than traditional advertising. If a prospective client hears your podcast through their earbuds, you're already in their head, literally. And I'm giving myself a round of applause for the correct use of the word, literally. Get it right, people. I want my word back. <clears throat> Pardon me. Pod617.com will help you deliver a message and build relationships. Clients and centers of influence will delight in being a guest on your show. See, this is how it works, kids. Get yourself a podcast. You come here to our studios in Westwood. We'll record it for you. You'll invite guests on the show, and they'll be amazed at how great the show is, and they'll share it with their network, and they told two friends, and so on, and so on, and so on. Go to pod617.com to start planning. Be part of the pod revolution. Visit pod617.com. In pod, we Trust. How did I do, Aaron? Excellent, Dave. I need to turn her mic up. Your Aaron is. Um, I don't know if I'd call you soft spoken. I can't call you soft spoken. You're bold and fiery, right? Absolutely. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so uh, yes. First of all, Aaron Higgins, welcome to the show. Thanks, Dave. Studio audience seems pleased so far. Aaron, I've known for a long time. She's a litigator, which is a kind of lawyer that you don't want to mess with. She is a defense attorney at Con Kavanaugh, an awesome firm. Everybody I've always met from Con Kavanaugh has been cool. and Very cool firm. Very cool firm. Is my buddy Jim Pelequin still there? Still your colleague? Jim is still there. He's Can't get rid of, of that bastard, huh? No. Absolutely. <laughs> Salt of the earth guy, in Absolutely. truth. Yep. Love Jim Pelequin. So Erin's my buddy. I've known her for, I don't know, a long way back to my days at Lawyers Weekly, but I wanted to have her here because... Um, because she's cool, and I mean, no matter what you talk about these days in terms of you know current events and everything, so many of it touches upon the law, and not everything we talk about necessarily in Erin's in Aaron's lane, so to speak, but um, she'll have some cool things to say. So get, in a nutshell, tell us, people know you're a lawyer and you're, you know, wear fancy suits, except today she's wearing jeans, people, <laughs> casual Friday, um, but tell us what you do. Sure. So as Dave said, I'm a litigator. That means I'm the kind of lawyer that goes to court and I rep represent people in litigation, lawsuits that are filed. And I do all kinds of lawsuits, represent all kinds of clients. Um, but one of the things I do a lot of is represent other lawyers. So 
folks no, may not realize that lawyers um, have to follow a strict code of conduct. Um, lawyers often have questions about whether what they're doing is following that code of conduct. And so I'm one of those lawyers that people call if they have a question about whether what they're doing complies with those rules of conduct, which are called the professional rules. And so I'm the lawyer other lawyers call to right. ask questions. Most people don't realize the how complex and massive the rules of discipline are for lawyers. It just simply doesn't exist in other professions. See, I, I used to be a lawyer, although I only practiced for a brief while, but very familiar with all of them. I became a financial advisor. Uh, if you can believe it, I was kind of shocked how few rules there are for financial <laughs> advisors compared to lawyers. I mean, for lawyers, there's a rule on you know when you can contact someone who might be your client when you can contact someone on the other side of the case, under what circumstances. Pe people complain about ambulance chasers. You actually aren't allowed to chase ambulances, not literally or figuratively, right? That's right. And one of the things that's interesting about lawyers is that lawyers are regulated by other lawyers. So there's actually a group of lawyers called the Board of Bar Overseers, and they are in charge of regulating other lawyers. Mm -hmm. So. I just served on the Board of Bar Overseers for four years. It was incredibly interesting. And uh, we got all kinds of cases, uh, lawyers who got into trouble in all kinds of ways. And so we, the lawyers, are actually in charge of making sure lawyers comply with the rules of professional conduct. And if they don't, figuring out what discipline is appropriate. And if they don't. Yes. Um, <laughs> I shouldn't kid about such things because it <laughs> it does get very dicey. But uh, so I I confess I don't think I've ever known this. So you're on the board of bar overseers. The chief person is is known as bar council. I don't know who that is right now. I assume you do. Who is it? So bar council yep. is right now a woman named Connie Vecchioni. Oh, Connie, of course. Yeah. She's actually retiring, and she's gonna. They're this. looking for a new bar council. Okay. But the bar council is actually the prosecutor and the the group that I sat on is kind of the adjudicatory body. They're the people that actually, the, the bar council represents the state. Lawyers have their own lawyers who represent them. And the board of bar overseers decides, you know, sits in a in a capacity of deciding, you know, who's telling, who's got the right side of the story and what the discipline is. But like be. how big is the panel? Like, so you're on a panel of people actually hearing all the evidence and everything? So each case gets heard by a hearing panel of three people. Another interesting thing is that that panel is going to have two lawyers on it and a non-lawyer. Oh, yeah. So The layperson. The layperson. So mm. that person can be an accountant or a banker. And actually, the Board of Bar Overseers is always looking for people who want to serve as non-lawyers on those hearing panels. Why is why is that? Why have the non-lawyer? I think there's a non-lawyer. Did I just open a can of worms? Go ahead. <laughs> I think there's a non-lawyer. Because I think for the person who's actually bringing the complaint, you might think, geez, it's not really fair that lawyers only get judged by other lawyers. Mm -hmm. So the non-lawyer is there to make sure that everybody feels comfortable that it's not only lawyers who get to weigh in. Yeah. I think that could go either way, too. I, th I think lawyers could be uh, super... Um, like defend your own. In some cases, lawyers could want to defend their own, like, Jesus, there but for the grace of God go I. But in other cases, they could be like so strict by the rule, and you might need a layperson to say, this guy really only did this. Like, it's not like, I'm, I know I'm just a layperson accountant, but it's not that bad. Or I don't know how it usually works. Actually, but. I think it's 
a pretty good observation because in my experience being on the board of borough overseers, which actually hears the appeals from those hearing panels, we also have non-lawyers on the board. And currently there's a doctor, there's a uh, former clerk of court and a banker. Mm-hmm. And in my experience on the board, those folks actually were, I think, more likely to have empathy for the lawyers who got into trouble yeah. than the lawyers. Good. I like that. Do you know, um, this is going to be, you're going to wonder why I'm asking you this question. The the hearings, the evidentiary hearings before the board, uh, is there an archive of, of tapes of those things? Do you know? They are recorded. They are recorded. They are recorded. Now, they're not transcribed, so yeah. you'd have to transcribe them, but... The whole process, once it gets to the hearing stage, it's public. Yeah, right. Uh, so any member of the public who wanted to go to one of these hearings could actually go. So I have a hidden agenda. So when I was at Lawyers Weekly, I, I covered the uh, disciplinary hearings connected to the Demoulis case, which you'll recall because it was Very all Very interesting case. Yeah. So Gary Crossan and Dick Donahue and Kevin Curry were brought up on um, disciplinary charges because they had lured this clerk of a judge into through some subterfuge. I can't even possibly explain the whole story in a short it, amount of time. Yeah. But but um, when uh, I didn't break the story, uh, I think it was a reporter named Judy Rakowski who broke it at the Globe, excellent reporting. I kind of came in after the fact, but I I went through a lot of the transcripts. That that case was a big case, so that, that, Very big that, case. So that one happened to have been transcribed. But I'd love to get those tapes because what do I do now? I produce podcasts. I think that would be a cool case to go back and look sort of after the fact. That would be a cool case. And that was a case that was so complex. And just for people who don't know anything about the case, as Dave mentioned, these lawyers actually persuaded a clerk of the judge who was hearing the case. This was an argument between different members of the Demoulis family, actually persuaded this clerk that they were going to offer the clerk a job and flew him to some remote island location to yeah. interview for this job. Nova Scotia. Went up to Nova Scotia. All yeah. to um, get the clerk to give them inside information right. about what the judge was doing. And so that case was so complex that they appointed a special hearing officer. You might remember Ellen Carpenter. Ellen Carpenter, yeah. God and rest her soul. God rest her soul. Yeah. And that case, I think it, I just remember Ellen going from place to place, dragging boxes of documents from that case with her. Um, it took her, I think, about six months to write the decision. And you could tell it was masterful. Like, it was it was lengthy. It was masterful. She left no stone unturned. And in my opinion, it was fair. It didn't work out so well for those lawyers. <laughs> it didn't work out well. Yeah. yeah. But, um, yeah, well, that we could go on and on. We and, could. And, and <laughs> but it was it was just as a final footnote. It was there was there's so many uh, like weird uh, twists and turns to the thing after even after the fact. You know, Ellen Carpenter writes a remarkable decision, and I'm not saying this had anything to do with it, of course. But she she died from a brain aneurysm brain tragically aneurysm. within a couple of years. Um, the lawyers disbarred. They had to you know find different ways to make their career, and even the the lawyer who. Uh, quote-unquote, prevailed in the case. I don't know if anyone ever won that case, but Bob Girard, he, he ended up in some uh, disciplinary trouble himself, I think. I shouldn't speak so flippantly, but it was something like that. So, And then the only one who sort of made out well in the whole deal was Judge Maria Lopez, who got a, eventually got a TV sh- reality TV show. <laughs> Insert <laughs> joke here. And, uh, and the clerk is doing well, from what I'm told. He went overseas and got a job, Paul Walsh and all that. 
All right. Um, wow. We this, see. This is the way podcasts work. Yeah. We got we got into a parenthesis and it took us a while to get out. Um, so we have we have breaking news. I should have a breaking news um, sound effect, but I don't. I'll make one up. Breaking news from Pod Six One Seven. Uh, so as Aaron and I are sitting here, we were talking before the podcast, talking about what to talk about. We brought up um, Mr. Kraft, Robert Kraft, who is um, obviously still in the news because his case is still pending in a Florida court. Um, and uh, if you've been trapped under something heavy for the last month or so, he's charged with two counts of soliciting a prostitute. He apparently went into a Florida day spa, Jupiter, Florida, and apparently paid for some form of sex. And apparently there's a tape, blah, blah, blah. We get it. But today, so I'm going to read the headline here, Aaron. <laughs> today, founder of, now by the time you hear this podcast, it might be old news, but the founder of the Florida day spa is tied to tied to Robert Kraft's prostitution case, attended a Super Bowl party with Donald Trump. Now, do we know, Aaron, is it, was it hosted? It was at, Mar- how do you pronounce the club's name? Mar-a-Lago? Mar-a-Lago. Mar-a-Lago. And uh, according to USA Today, uh, the founder of the spa where Kraft was busted for allegedly soliciting prostitution, watched this year's Super Bowl party at a party hosted by President Donald Trump. Uh, Lee Yang, who's 45, the woman in question, snapped a selfie photo with Trump from the Super Bowl watch party held at the president's West Palm Beach Country Club. Um, that according to in uh, USA sources, the Miami Herald. Um, now, I don't know what this means. <laughs> Isn't it weird? It's, it's so weird. weird. It's weird. I mean, yeah. I don't know. It's like what, what people are doing down in Palm Beach. It's hard to know. But um, if, if those when you see this picture, too, as most of you will, I'm sure, yep. as I said to Dave, this does not really look like the group of people I would imagine would be watching the Super Bowl at Mar-a-Lago. But there you are. Yeah, it looks like a random group of people. But sure enough, there's craft with, with um, the uh, person in question in the foreground. She's the one I... I Take it as snapping the selfie. There's a there's another woman in the background who is kind of uh, seems to be cozying up to the Donald, but um, she's unrelated she's as far as we know. Yeah, we don't know who she is. She, she she's probably hearing from all her friends. Like, what are you doing in that selfie? Um, but does this mean anything, Aaron? Does this mean anything? Probably not, right? Well, you know, um, I think this woman Li Yang, as from what I've read in the newspaper, she was kind of a real entrepreneur in this area. She had spas all over the place, and um, so I guess she was running with uh, the Marlago crowd. I guess so. That would sort, yeah, that would sort of. Th- that's like the simplest explanation for this weird, bizarro selfie story is that. Mar-a-Lago is located near Jupiter, Florida, I guess. That's, I think that's, that's right. That's probably in the story. Yeah. I just didn't pick it up. But so therefore, if the well-to-do are gathering at Mar-a-Lago for a Super Bowl party, she might be one of the people there. Um, there's no indication um, from the photo that they know each other. And, you know, if you're at a party with the president, you're probably going to want to snap a selfie if he lets you, right? I mean, even if you don't like Absolutely. him. Absolutely. Right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I think what's sad about the photo and sad about that story is that here are these w- Asian-American women are that are being exploited. And this woman, Lee Lang, you know, from all appearances, is herself Asian-American. And mm-hmm. so... You know, pretty sad that that's, um, you know, the, it's, the kind of business yeah. that, that uh, she was running. I, it does, in a way, bust a stereotype, I think, because I, I, I think, and again, I'm just sort of going down this st- road, road of stereotype, stereotype alley, but um, the, 
whole notion of human trafficking is the idea that women are being exploited. And I think most people would have would have pictured some uh, rich and probably male um, sort of uh, crime lords that are, um, you know, imposing their will on these women. And uh, so it's just uh, a little strange to see that there's a woman there. And um, anyway, so but let's let's talk a, a little bit, Aaron, just because I know you do some work with the Victim, I'm going to get the name wrong. The Victim v- Rights Law Center. Victim Rights Law Center. I was yeah. going to jumble the words. Yeah. And uh, so in this case, you know, uh, much as we people may um, make Robert Kraft the butt of jokes, um, it is worth talking about whether what connection it has to the serious problem of, of human trafficking. And, right. it, and it, even if not human trafficking, in, in this instance, women who are maybe um, – doing the, you know, really doing sexual favors for paying men, you know, possibly, you know, against their will. I don't know. So what do you think about the whole thing? Well, as we were talking about before we started, um, there's actually an organization in Boston called My Life, My Choice. And um, I'm not involved with that organization, but I have been to their annual benefit. And one of the things you learn when you go to these events is that um, you think of sex trafficking as this thing that happens far away from you and that you would never possibly know anyone who's involved in sex trafficking. And what you learn when you go to these events and you hear from people who were victims of sex trafficking and their families and the effect it has on their families, it could be somebody next door to you. It could be the teenage girl who lives down the street who runs away from home and ends up in an impossible situation. So mm-hmm. it really does drive home that it's, it's all around us. It's very close to us. And um, actually, my daughter. Mm-hmm. Can I can I bring up my? Absolutely. Am I, am I allowed you, to bring up my kids? I wish, listeners, you could see the way Erin beamed as she brought up her daughter. I love hearing about your kids. So so yes, please. So my daughter, uh, who is a who is a junior at the University of Denver, she's actually interning this semester with a group called truckers against trafficking and one of the things they do is train truckers to recognize the signs of human trafficking so that they can intervene and report what they what they recognize to be trafficking to authorities because a lot of human trafficking happens on the highways and happens um, and happens at uh, truck stops and happens at places where Mm. where truckers are. So, so we're talking about prostitution, but tr- truck stops, but when you say trafficking, you're like... Um, we're talking about people in... We are talking about people being transported oh, across... actually being transported. ...across state lines. Okay. And, and girls who... Um, mostly girls who... Um, but certainly I'm sure it's boys too who, you know, you see them and you got to recognize the signs of when yeah. somebody might be... Um, what a good idea to employ the the some good honest truckers to help you. Um, yeah, there was a a chilling scene in the TV show The Wire. I forget which season it was, but it was the one that took place down by the docks in Baltimore. And did you watch that show? No. No. Okay. Um, I'm not giving anything away. It's kind of the premise of this whole season, but they it they uh, cops encounter um, a shipment of something that has arrived by way of uh, a tanker, you know, a big tanker. I don't know, I'm getting the terminology wrong, but those those big old, you know, huge uh, metal boxes that uh, uh, Tom Hanks was shipping in the movie Captain Phillips. Uh, <laughs> was, that, was that? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, they open up one of these things, and uh, to their horror, they find uh, a bunch of young 
women who have died because they were placed in there for transport from overseas and the ventilation wasn't proper in the thing. Now, I hope that's never happened in real life, but it was, it, it in part, I think, showed a, shown a light on the fact that this thing, this kind of stuff actually happens. Right. Yeah. So it's right. scary. Right. It's scary. And what, I rec- what I've come to learn from doing pro bono cases with the Victim Rights Law Center, which uh, what they do is get uh, lawyers to provide free legal assistance to victims of sexual assault. And what I've learned through working with those clients is that, again, you don't, you know, you don't understand why people stay in abusive situations or why, for example, this spa in Florida, why are these women still there? And um, when you really get into this, uh, representing these folks, you start to learn a little bit about trauma mm-hmm. and how trauma keeps you locked into situations that you never thought you'd get in and you always imagined that you'd easily be able to get out of, but you're really not. Yeah. Um, well, we'll have to uh, keep each other updated on uh, the craft thing because at present we don't even know whether <clears throat> the, the, the um, extent of this possible human trafficking ring in Jupiter um, because uh, we've got a bunch of Johns that have been busted, of course, but apparently no charges filed against any of the the higher-ups that run this thing. Um, and, uh, I mean, I can tell you that it's, um, it's it, you say it's much more common than people know. If you don't think there is a massage parlor that offers uh, sexual favors for money within, say, 10 miles of your home, then you're you're kind of blind to it. And, and um, let's put it this way. If there's a massage parlor that looks kind of seedy, I mean, there's a fair chance that this is going on. Yeah. And so with so many, I mean, you know, you, you drive by them, you see them, you probably don't give it a second thought, whatever, who cares, but you should care uh, about the larger problem. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Okay. All right. That's my soapbox. Hi, I'm Nick. I'm here to tell you about an affliction that affects millions of Americans every year. It's growing and there's no end in sight. I'm talking, of course, about podcast envy. Hi, I'm George. I suffered from podcast envy. Sure, I had a podcast, but it wasn't the biggest deal. It was just insignificant compared to other podcasts. I felt so inadequate. Hi, I'm Buck. I felt myself consistently looking at other podcasts. They seemed so massive. My friends and I were finally able to conquer podcast envy when I found the Boston Podcast Network. They gave us a new podcast, a mighty powerful one too. They even gave it a name. Shawshanked. We finally had a podcast, one we could hold up high and be proud of. We were now able to whip out our podcast and expose it publicly. Thousands of people received our podcast on the internet on pod617.com. Some enjoy our podcast in bits and spurts. Many prefer to swallow it whole. Either way, don't wait any longer. Please act now. End your own podcast envy. Go to pod617.com and take hold of your own podcast. Find our podcast Shawshank. See if you can handle it. Don't be ashamed of your little podcast. Get a big one at pod617.com. On a lighter note, you ready for a lighter note? I'm ready for a lighter note. Anything else about your uh, your kids you want to brag about? Because I love <laughs> it when you brag about your kids. My son just got his license. My, my, uh, my younger son, Griffin, just got his license. And so usually on, um, what was last night? Thursday nights, 
usually we play racquetball and then get some dinner. But they, the racquetball place had all the time booked. So uh, he was like, oh, that's cool, Dad. Let's just get some dinner. We'll watch Game of Thrones. I'm, watch, I'm watching Game of Thrones for the third time. He's watching it for the first time. But it's cool watching it through his eyes. And so he said, what time should I come over? And all of a sudden it hit me. He's coming over to my place. I don't have to pick him up from anywhere. He's going to come to my place. He's going to enjoy dinner and Game of Thrones, and he's going to get in his car, and he's going to drive away. And it was like my little boy's grown up, you know? <laughs> Absolutely. Well, next year, Empty Nester. Wow. My youngest is heading off to college. So, yeah. So What are you going to do with yourself? Whole new phase. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm going to do more podcasts. Good. Oh, my God. Yes. <laughs> no, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for suggestions, you know, because, you know, my husband and I, we got to, you know, I said to him, we can't go back to working all the time. We got to figure out what else we're going to do. Well, there's always alcohol. Yeah. Uh, that's, <laughs> and I assume some other things like hiking and uh, I don't know, some outdoorsy things and read a good book and enjoy your, uh, your peace. It, I mean, I imagine it's, you know, um, you know, my son Adrian has special needs and he does live uh, at a school away from where we are. But he'll always be, you know, in our life a lot. And then Griffin, my younger one, still get he still has uh, a full year before he's off to college. So we I will. We still have the dogs. <laughs> <laughs> the dogs are important. All right, we're going to uh, go to a segment called "Good Stuff" because that's what we do on the show. We tell you what you should be watching and listening to and consuming and all of that. So let's do some good stuff. Oh, that's the good stuff. How do you like the good stuff uh, intro? I don't. It's great. Yeah, it's great. I don't recognize it, but it's great. That's good. You don't recognize it because then the copyright cops will stay away from me. <laughs> Let's say it's loosely based on the B fifty two song uh, "Good Stuff," but the Robin Williams was in there too. Um, you know, it kind of sucks the fun out of it if, if I deconstruct my own uh, sound intro. Um, so, Aaron, you just uh, um, go ahead. Tell us uh, the movie you want to talk about today. Sure. So a um, couple of cool things I saw recently. Um, I saw Free Solo, the documentary mm-hmm. about the guy who uh, free soloed uh, El Cap in Yosemite, which was an amazing thing to see. And I don't know that it makes me want to free solo any mountain at all. <laughs> <laughs> I don't yeah. think so. So let's, t- yeah, let's talk about that. So First off, that one best documentary at the Oscars, One best right? documentary. Yep. It was on National Geographic, and I think National Geographic were the people that filmed it. Yep. And so, one, you know, it was pretty interesting watching a guy who lived in his van for years uh, and years while he, you know, worked on this climb and practiced it over and over and over again with ropes and um, and ultimately did it without ropes. Yeah. So, you said it, but just, just to drive the point home, because it's, it's baffling. You know, picture a, a wall, you know, really a mountain, but the, but it's like a rock wall that, that goes almost straight up and it's got all kinds of nooks and crannies and little little things to hold on to. And you got this dude who it's like the opening shot of the documentary. He's like yeah, a couple hundred feet high in the air and you're looking kind of down on them. And by the way, how, how brave did the filmmakers have to be as well? I mean, I, they got harnesses and yeah, everything. They're <laughs> they're, yeah, they're roped. They're roped. But uh, And it, this dude is there. The only thing you notice is he doesn't even have gloves on. He's got like know. chalk. He's got a little bag of chalk right. on his back. Mm-hmm. And that is it. And he's got his bare hands and he's got these little tiny you know, sneakers on his feet. And when you say there's handholds and footholds, 
sometimes there are, but some parts of it, you don't see those handholds and footholds. You don't know what the heck he's holding on right. to. And yeah. he is just using the balance of his body to uh, to stay up on this rock. And some of those shots, I mean, it was almost nauseating seeing yeah. how high up he was and realizing. And I think for the filmmakers, I mean, what they talked about a lot is if he fell. Yeah. And watching him. And, and there's actually a scene um, where one filmmaker cannot watch he cannot watch yeah that's he, right it's he, he t- turns away like yeah. like like i was doing and like you know i'm so glad that's so well put aaron because um i was doing the whole thing like no 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 oh my god no 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 you know you just get you just like no way and you're sort of picturing whether you yourself could do such a thing i mean i don't think i have an unusual fear of heights but I have a fear of heights when there's a chance I might plummet to my death. <laughs> and, exactly. And every moment he's doing this, he could die. Every moment. So, so um, yeah, that, that's, I noticed that too. That the, I, I thought to a point where it, it almost seemed like the filmmakers were wondering what their film was going to be like after the guy fell to his death. And it would have, it probably, I mean, in terms of being compelling, it probably would have been even better. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not like upset that he didn't die. Well, but. I think what was a big, <laughs> what was a big concern for them is too, if he did fall, whether they caused him to fall. Yeah. And they were really conscious they of that throughout that, the right? filming yep. that they wanted to make sure they didn't distract him or cause him to lose his concentration, which. Yeah. I mean, that would be a huge, huge guilt trip if you felt that you had done something like that. Yeah. So, it's um, like, uh, so who's got the drone camera today? Uh, Stu the intern. <laughs> Stu the intern! No! <laughs> you know, the drone guy. They said they're going to be, they were afraid of some drone flying too cl- close. And even if he just kind of got distracted by that, you know, sayonara. Oh, boy. So yeah. that was a cool thing to watch. And I just, you know. As far as like somebody being so obsessed with something and so dedicated to doing this one really weird thing that he worked yeah. on it for so long, that was really amazing. My so the first question that I had when the doc started was, did they anticipate that he was going to die? That was sort of answered. It was sort of suggested that they they were. It's almost like they were all, including his buddy, the uh, the fellow climber, seemed to be preparing himself for the day when this guy might fall. Is that the other big question I had is if people actually. Do this. Apparently, it's 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 a small. They said like one to two percent of all rock climbers will try this free solo thing. Um, so that's a small number. But my question was, what don't people die doing this? And then they answered the question. That there was like you know, pretty a, much every famous yeah. free soloist has died. Oh God, Oof, I get which the chills was just really to... something. Yeah. So so that was so that was interesting. And then just before we started, we were talking a little bit about Green Book. Okay, let's, which, let's yeah. uh, kind of controversial, I guess, because I saw it with my husband, and uh, um, I wasn't really expecting much. The reviews had been kind of mixed, mm. and um, I have—I hate to say it, almost, but we really liked it. Well, I really liked it too. Just for kicks and giggles, let's watch the uh, trailer from Green Book. Yeah, some guy called over here, a doctor. He's looking for a driver. You interested? I am not a medical doctor. I'm a musician. I'm about to embark on a concert tour in the Deep South. What other experience do you have? So we're... Relations. He's just public relations, kicking ass as a bouncer. In the Deep South, there's going to be problems. Promise me you're going to write me a letter. No problems. Tell me that don't smell good. I've never had fried chicken in my life. You people love the fried chicken. You have a very narrow assessment of me, Tony. Yeah, right? I'm good. 
Now that's enough. This is a long trailer. Two minutes and 30 seconds. That's too long. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, if you don't know the premise, it's based on the true story of um, a uh, rough around the edges, you know, former bouncer at nightclubs who takes a job driving. Um, what's his name? Don. Uh, we'll, we'll find um, it. Yeah. We'll find it. But um, driving this uh, accomplished musician on a. Don uh, Shirley. Don Shirley. Thank you very much. Um, a tour through the South, and um, but go ahead, tell tell me a little bit more what you liked about it, Aaron. You know, I I, I I hate to say it, but it was just kind of a one of those movies. It was easy to watch. It was kind of feel good. Um, had this happy ending, and I guess it kind of seemed cliche. But the sad thing is, we both walked out thinking that was really fun. So, so what do you say to the people who say, well? It, you're not allowed to enjoy it because <laughs> because the family of Don Shirley didn't okay it, and in fact they're pissed that they did. Yeah, what do you think about that? I mean, when that when a lot of the controversy came out over after it won the Oscar, you know, right. and whether this was just one more show where uh, you know there was this white savior who you know teaches the the black musician how to eat fried chicken and how to right. do this and how to do that, I totally get it, and I. I agree with it, but um, it doesn't change for me the fact that it was just kind of a fun and enjoyable movie. The acting was good, and it kind of told a great story that, um, as it turned out, really a lot, lots of it was true. Yeah. So um, I know that John Trilley's family is disputing parts of it, but the general overarching story was true. And so, I don't know. I guess sometimes you just enjoy films that, you know, maybe, uh, you know, on reflection, parts of it are um, are you know, do, um, uh, you know, um, carry through stereotypes that maybe yeah. aren't great. Yeah. Um, well, uh, yeah, I mean, to me, it's, it's all, I feel like we live in an age where you can twist anything backwards if you want to hate it. Like there, <laughs> there are, there are people that don't like the movie Hoosiers because at the end of the game, the, the all white, you know, hickory high basketballers play, a uh, a great team from a, a different town that happens to be predominantly black, and they win at the end uh, against all odds. And uh, some people say, "Well, this has racial overtones." It's like you know they have to put down the black man coming up in basketball, and and at some point you have to go, "Give me a break!" It's it, first of all, it's a movie, so it's it can't be like when you watch the movie, it, it can't be a true retelling of everything that happened. They have to take creative license in order to make some points. It's not a documentary. It's not. I mean, even document documentarians can be accused of manipulation and all that, but at least you're seeing like the pretty much the facts and the the real testimony. This is a movie, and so it is told through the eyes of. Um, the what's his name? Somebody the Tony Lip, Tony Lip, right? Tony Lip. Who, by the way, did you know this? Did you know that the the real life Tony Lip was in The Sopranos? The TV show? I saw that when we looked yeah. up to see how much of the movie was true. Right. Um, and I guess the other thing too is, I mean, you know, one thing it did made you think about, um, which I think is a, a very um, a good thing to think about is, I mean. You know, for those of us, I, I was born in 1966, which was right around this time, the time this movie was happening, the events in the movie were happening. And so for me, it seems like I can't believe that things were happening like what happened to Don Shirley in the South when yeah. I was alive. I mean, right. this wasn't ancient history. I know, this right? was not that long ago. So I think it does make you think about that, which I think is a good thing. The other interesting thing I'll say is that um, – one reason we were so interested in the movie is that my husband's 
um, my husband's father, his stepfather was very much, um, he was kind of the, the Jewish accountant for some certain uh, parts of the mob in New York. So his dad grew up in the Copacabana. Oh, really? And had his, actually had his bar mitzvah party in the Copacabana. Oh, that's hilarious. So <laughs> we had to call him up right after we saw the movie and said, hey, did you ever meet Tony Lip? <laughs> right. <laughs> and? And? He didn't remember Tony Lip. He didn't Lepp. remember Tony yeah. Lip. Who knows? See, to me, yeah, it was just a great story. And it's it, the other thing is that, um, and you were sort of going there, I think, when you come out of a movie and you enjoy it, in a way, there should be very little that can dissuade you from liking it after the fact. It's like, right. you know, uh, maybe a clumsy example, but in the movie Remember the Titans, the the team, you know, wonderful story, the integrated first integrated team of its kind, and they win the championship. And in the last game, on the last play, they run this amazing play to win the championship. Well, it turns out in real life, that's not the way it actually happened. They had a really close game earlier in the playoffs, but when it came time for the championship game, it was not a close game at all. Very little drama. Um, who cares? <laughs> it's a great movie. Like, and so they switch things around a little bit to just amp up the, the, the drama. And, I, you know, it's like you shouldn't like that movie because they, they you know, they glamorize, they change this, they change that. Um, and, and it's not as if it's not as if Shirley in the movie is portrayed as uncouth or unfeeling or or um, like a terrible guy. If anything, he's 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 portrayed. It it, it it comes through in the movie that he doesn't have to do this tour of the South. That he he wants to. He he wants right. and he knows right. it's going to be difficult. And he comes off as first of all super intelligent, but but also. Um, you know, a man of principle, a man of integrity. And so what the heck is wrong with that? I don't right. Know. And I think it was, you know, just looking at it objectively, um, it was a great piece of acting by Mahershala Ali because yeah. he's his character in the movie is so reserved. So he doesn't say a whole lot, but he says a lot with his eyes. Oh, my God. That guy can do no wrong. He's essentially the next uh, Denzel. Have you seen True Detective season three? No. All right, that's your homework assignment, Aaron Higgins. It, yeah, yeah. He is masterful, and he and this is not a, a spoiler at all. He, the the movie takes place in kind of three different time periods, and so he plays uh, a detective in three different eras, including as a as a elderly man, and it's seamless. He's so good. Yeah, the so. first season of that freaked me out so badly. <laughs> I never watched any. I never even watched season two. Um, really, you didn't like uh, McConaughey? And I uh, liked Oi? it, but it was uh, there were parts of it that were really creepy. Well, just remember, Aaron. Time is a flat circle. <laughs> uh, well, we're up against the clock here in Podland, but um, Aaron, I hope I hope you had fun. This is Did fun. You enjoy this. This is really fun. Okay. If people need to get in touch with you, can they go to the website of your firm or where should they go? Absolutely. Go to Con Kavanaugh's website. It's concavanaugh.com. And um, yeah, look me up. If you uh, if you need to talk about an ethics issue, if you're a lawyer and you want to talk to somebody about whether you're doing the right thing, I'm the person to call. She is. I cannot uh, recommend her enough. She's awesome. By the way, Con Kavanaugh is... Um, Con with a C and two N's, and then Kavanaugh, counterintuitively, with a K. 
<laughs> no, I'm just confused as a matter. It's C O N N, and then K is in Ka- K for Kavanaugh, and the rest of Kavanaugh spelled in its typical sense. I'm not going to bother to spell the whole thing. Um, just Google Aaron Higgins' lawyer, and you'll find her. She's awesome. Um, so thank you for listening to the Boston Podcast. Um, if you like this podcast, share it with a friend. Aaron, you have lots of friends. I have a lot of friends. Okay, so after this podcast post, um, share it with all your friends. Tell them to listen to the Boston Podcast and the Boston, everything we have at pod617.com. Get in touch with us. Come visit us at our Westwood Studios. You should have your own podcast. Check us out. You can email me directly, if you like, david at pod617.com. Thanks for listening. Enjoy your day, Boston.